0: Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 44. This is the reading of God's word. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you've been with us uh, week to week, uh, you know that we are currently in a series right now through the Lord's Prayer, uh, where each week we take a phrase out of the Lord's Prayer. Um and, and we go to a different passage in Scripture that helps us better understand what that phrase means and why Jesus included it in this model for prayer that so many of us were praying uh, since, we, since we were kids. And so, uh, if you remember, we started right at the beginning with the phrase, Our Father, uh, and, and we've been working our way through the first three petitions of this prayer. With hallowed be your name, then your kingdom come, and today we're looking at Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I mentioned this in week one, uh, but one thing you'll notice about these first three petitions is that none of them revolve around us. Um, uh, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right? Your name, your kingdom, your will. And Jesus understands that our natural inclination as human beings is to make everything about us, right? It's like those people who, no matter what the conversation is, have this uncanny ability to always make it about them, right? Uh, Someone's talking about their recent vacation, and then that person has to jump in and say something like, oh man, but have you been to Italy? Because I went last year, and it was amazing, Right? Someone's talking about how they lost their job, and that person always has to jump in and say something like, oh, when I lost my job a couple years ago, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Right? I, nobody wants to hear about that right now. And yet, this is exactly what we do in our relationship with God. Everything comes back to us. I mean, let's be honest, when's the last time we thanked God that someone else got the job we wanted? It doesn't happen because we are by nature selfish creatures. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he's so intentional about making sure the first half of the prayer takes us out of ourselves and aligns us with the heart of God. So that when we do begin to ask for things, our number one priority is no longer to have our needs met but rather to see God exalted in our lives. And that's the heart behind the phrase we're looking at today. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And the implication there is that currently God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is not being done in our homes as it is in heaven. God's will is not being done in our city as it is in heaven. And as much as we would like to blame everyone out there, for this, might I suggest that perhaps the reason God's will isn't being done in all these different spheres of our lives really comes down to the fact that we're unwilling to submit our wills to God. Uh, you know, in t- 2019, uh, NPR ran a year-long series called American Anthem, uh, where they used 50 songs to tell the story of America, and uh, the song they chose to wrap up this series was the song My Way by Frank Sinatra. Okay, perfect uh, close to the series. And the episode talks about how the only thing that Donald Trump's inaugural ball and Nipsey Hussle's funeral service could have possibly had in common was that this song was played at both. And what this was illustrating was this idea that there's something so deeply human uh, about doing it my way that it transcends race, it transcends politics, socioeconomic status, and especially in a country like America, where individualism is king, there's nothing we hate more than people telling us what to do, right? This is why people here are, losing, are still losing their minds when they're told to wear masks. Only happens in America. Like when I watch videos of Americans screaming in a Target at the employees And knocking things over because they're asked to put on a mask. I'm like, I I don't get it. Is it worth it? No other country struggles with this as much as we do. Why? It's because at the end of the day, we don't like being forced to do something against our will. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, Your will be done. We have to understand that he's instructing us to do something that goes against the very fabric of our being. I mean, why is marriage so hard? It's a battle of wills. You have two people who want to do things their way. And the human will is a scary thing. It's a force to be reckoned with. On on one hand, it has led to some of the most amazing feats, right? When you listen to stories of people who were told at a young age they were never going to walk again, who then go on to compete in the Olympics, I mean, that's the power of the human will. When mothers bring babies into the world, that is an act of sheer determination and will. And throughout the ages, people have willed themselves to survive in some of the most dire circumstances, right? But understand this, this same will is the same exact will that comes into play when you're in an argument with a friend or a family member. And no matter how wrong you are, you refuse to say sorry. This is the same will that will use any means necessary to get ahead in your career, even if it means taking advantage of people or throwing your coworkers under the bus. Um, you all know we have a three-year-old and a five-year-old in our home, and um, it's pretty incredible to watch them at such a young age begin to develop their will. And it's really jarring, and uh, for you infant parents, this is, I'm just warning you right now, is very jarring Uh, That first time you ask your kids to do something and these kids who were once so dependent on you, who did everything you told them to do, all of a sudden can look you dead in the eye and say, no, right? I mean, obviously we got to take care of that as parents. So they think twice about doing that again, but nevertheless, every day in these small ways, you see your kids start to assert their will. And like I mentioned before, we live in a culture that encourages this. A culture that tells us to be free. A culture that says, don't let anyone else tell you how to live your life. And yet, one could argue that the greatest sign of maturity and strength, according to the Bible, is not someone who exerts their will whenever they choose, but rather someone who's able to relinquish their will for the sake of another. Someone who's able to surrender the things they want someone who's able to surrender their pride, someone who's able to surrender their need for instant gratification, that's not weakness, that's strength. And and, and the text we're looking at today is maybe the greatest example we have in scripture of this phrase, your will be done. You see, uh, Jesus never asks us to do something he himself would not do, right? And here in one of the most darkest Moments in scripture, on the night before Jesus' execution, Jesus prays the very thing he tells his disciples to pray. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, I don't want this cup which if you read the Old Testament is a metaphor for God's judgment and wrath, Jesus knows that he's being asked to do something nobody else in human history has ever been asked to do. Look, you and I may be asked to do things in life that we don't want to do. You and I will be asked to love difficult people. You and I will be asked to let go of things that are valuable to us. You and I will be asked to go to places we don't want to go. But you and I will never be asked to do what Jesus was asked to do, to carry the sins of the entire world on his shoulders and be held responsible for every act of injustice, hatred, and oppression, past, present, and future. We won't ever have to be asked to do that. Which is why it makes sense that Jesus cries out, Father, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? But then he says the unthinkable. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, but what you want. You see, every day we are placed in situations where we're given a choice. My way or God's way. Every day there's a cup placed before us that we want God to take away. Obviously it's never going to be this cup, but a cup nonetheless. A difficult family member. A challenging situation at work. Financial hardship. Loneliness. Depression. And in those moments, what are you going to say? My will be done or your will be done. And this doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for relief. This doesn't mean we shouldn't be honest about how we feel or what we want God to do. I mean, Jesus himself never sugarcoats anything. He straight up says, I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me. It even says he was in so much anguish that he began to sweat drops of blood. But at the end of the day, he says, but even if you don't give me what I want, I trust you. Your will be done. You know, uh, all of us know how hard it is to do God's will, even when we know it will benefit us. Like all of us know, forgiving someone is going to be a lot better for us in the long run than harboring bitterness and resentment toward that person. Like we know this. And yet, It's still so hard to do the right thing in those moments. But now imagine having to trust God, knowing for a fact that there was going to be no benefit for you whatsoever on the other side. Imagine having to trust God, knowing that doing so could mean you lose everything that is valuable to you. And this is what God is asking Jesus to do. He's saying, do you trust me? Even though it'll cost you everything? And to this, Jesus says, I do trust you. He says, yes. You know, sometimes I think when we pray your will be done, we're we're actually not really praying that. We're still thinking, but what's in it for me? And I mentioned this earlier, but the human will is a powerful thing. And we can get really creative when it comes to getting the things we want. Even if that means trying to manipulate God. I mean, it's hilarious how us humans think we can try to uh, get one past God, right? Uh, I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, you know, Jason, I really think it's God's will for me to be with that person. Like I prayed about it and uh, he just made it crystal clear or man, I don't know why, but I feel like God wants me to make a lot of money. I don't even want to be rich. But I mean, I guess he wants to, you know, he wants me to use my money to help people in need. I mean, your will be done, right? But you see what we do? We already know what we want. And we just want God to sign on the dotted line. We just want to give ourselves the assurance that we have God's blessing to do what we want. Or, or sometimes we do this. We give God ultimatums. Okay, I'm going to do your will but I need you to help me with this one thing first, right? If you just give me this promotion, that'll actually give me more time and free me up to serve you, right? We do this all the time. Or my favorite tactic uh, is when we come to God with predetermined choices and say, you pick one of those. Uh, You know, my kids sometimes come to me and say, Dad, okay, do you want to do arts and crafts or play a game? Oh, shoot, I see them right now on the Zoom. Uh, uh, Do you want to do arts and crafts or, or play a game? You choose though, because cause you're the boss and, and we want to do what you want to do, right? And I'm like, I want you to go to sleep, you know, to, to which they say, ah, never mind, You know, we don't want to ask you that anymore, right? And we do this to God. God, I'm struggling right now between pursuing this one job that pays more, but works you harder, but this other job that pays less, but gives me more time off. Which one do you want me to take? You choose though, because your will be done. And sometimes I feel like God is like, I don't want you to take either of those, to which we're like, "Ah, never mind, didn't want your opinion anyways, right? You see, when we do this, we're not saying your will be done. We're saying your will be done on my terms. Your will be done according to my convenience. Your will be done, but only on the condition that you do a few things for me. But this is not what Jesus does. Jesus says, even if the rest of my life is miserable, even if this road leads me to hell itself, and it does. Not my will, but yours be done. Who does that? How many of us at this moment could say, even though I will never understand why I'm going through what I'm going through right now, even though your way probably means I have to surrender my preferences and my comfort, and perhaps even my own aspirations, how many of us could say, not what I want, but what you want? Only someone who trusts God completely can say this. And this is where I think we need to be honest with ourselves. One of the reasons this prayer is so hard to pray is that if we're honest, we don't trust God completely. We don't believe his will is good. We don't believe he's for us. Well, well, well Jason, how do you get to that point where you do believe it? And I'll say this. You can only trust someone completely when they've proven to you that they'll go to any length for your sake. And this passage in Luke 22 is Jesus proving it. This is Jesus showing us that what Paul says in Romans 8 is true, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, you see, if there was anyone who could have had a bone to pick with God, it would have been Jesus. Do you realize how many people asked Jesus for things throughout the course of His life using these exact words found in Luke 22, and how many times He gave them exactly what they wanted? Uh, in Matthew 8, we read the story of a leper who comes to Jesus and says, "Lord, if you're willing, make me clean." And you know what Jesus says? "I am willing." Be clean. And he does this over and over again throughout his ministry. But the one time Jesus cries out for help, the one time Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. You know what the answer is? No. You want to talk about unfair? That's unfair. And yet Jesus doesn't say, Are you serious? After everything I've done for you, You're going to leave me hanging like this. No, he doesn't say that. He says, if this is your will, then so be it. And in doing this, in surrendering his will to the Father perfectly, doing what none of us could have done, Jesus gives us the confidence to trust him in those times when we're asking why. In those times when we don't know what tomorrow holds, you see, Jesus' death is the final act of obedience in a life that from beginning to end was completely submitted to God's will. This is why on the cross, before he breathed his last breath, Jesus says, it is finished. He's saying, everything I was put on this earth to do, I've done. I wasn't put on this earth to be someone great, or influential in the world's eyes. I wasn't put on this earth to get married or travel the world or make a name for myself. I was put on this earth to do the will of my father, and now it's finished. And when you think about it, Jesus' surrender is our salvation. Because in the same way that all of us suffered the consequences of the first Adam, which we read about back in the book of Genesis, choosing to do it his way, to live according to his desires and his rules, we now benefit from the obedience of the second Adam, our Savior Jesus Christ, who chose to do it God's way. Now, let me get very practical here. Uh, how do we know what God's will is? Right, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, and that phrase gets thrown around a lot. Everyone's always asking, what is God's will for my life? Jason, I wish God would just tell me what to do And I think sometimes we think God's will is this mystical, abstract thing that we have to try to uncover. God, do you want me to change careers? Show me a sign, right? And then we open up Instagram and then we see a post about a casting call and we're like, wait, God, do you want me to be an actor? No, I mean, no, I'm telling you right now, no, most likely he doesn't, okay? And and we make God's will so complicated when it really isn't. And do you know what, do you want to know what God's will is? It's right here. It's in his word. And that can sound like a cop-out answer. But you know, I hear this all the time from married couples. And Carol and I, we are guilty of this as well. We're always saying this about the other person. I don't know what they want. Everything I do upsets them. How am I supposed to know what they're thinking? And usually the problem is not that they haven't told us what they want. It's that we haven't listened. You see, God tells us exactly what He wants in His word. Yeah, He might not tell you whether you should buy a home or keep renting your apartment. He might not tell you whether to invest in GameStop or pull out. But honestly, it's probably because He doesn't really care. He tells you what He cares about. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, Be slow to speak and quick to listen. He says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. And if you're doing all these things in your home, in your workplace, in your relationships, you don't have to ask whether or not you're in the will of God, you are. But isn't it funny how sometimes in our pursuit of this thing called God's will for our lives, we end up doing everything but his will? You see, when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're not praying for God to reveal some secret to us. We're praying for God to change us, to become the type of people who can let go of the things we want so that every person who interacts with us, so that our children, so that our parents, so that our coworkers, walk away and say, I just got a taste of heaven. That every conversation and every decision we make reflects the heart of God as revealed in his word. And that's what we're praying when we pray, your will be done. And as we begin to make this prayer a regular part of our lives, I guarantee you we will start to see something amazing happen. We will start to see that what breaks God's heart suddenly starts to break ours. We will start to see that what God wants suddenly starts to become what we want. You know, if you're in a relationship, you know, you probably know what this feels like. There are times when you feel like you're on completely different pages with your significant other. There are times when you feel like and there and there are other times you feel like you're firing on all cylinders. When you know what your significant other wants before he or she says a word. You know what makes him or her tick. You begin to adopt the same mind and heart so much to the point that you don't need to wonder what the other person is thinking. This is our hope when we pray your will be done. Doesn't it mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. But in Christ, we're able to say these words with confidence, trusting that even in our darkest moments, God is working all things according to the counsel of his perfect will. And so this morning, I want to close by asking all of you on this Zoom chat a simple question. Okay? And in your minds right now, I want you to answer this question. I want you to be completely honest with yourselves. What do you want? Very simple question. Not what should you want, what do you want? Um, People who know me know I'm a nine on the Enneagram, so I never know what I want. When someone asks me, Jason, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know, whatever you want. When Carol asks me, what do you want to eat for dinner tonight? I'm like, I don't know, whatever you want to eat, right? Or I'll start giving a million disclaimers like, well, I mean, I guess we should eat this, or I guess we should do this, because I think that would probably be the best thing for our family or for this church And I need friends to regularly stop me and say, No, Jason, what do you want? And I think it's important for us to name what it is we want, because how are you going to surrender something you don't even know exists? And so I want you to dig really deep. Maybe what you really want is to be significant. You just want your life to matter. And you don't even know what that looks like. You just want your life to matter. Maybe what you want is to be comfortable. You want to make sure your kids are taken care of. You want to make sure your parents are taken care of. You want to make sure you have enough in the bank for retirement. Maybe what you want is for your family or for your parents to be proud of you. Maybe what you want is romantic fulfillment. Maybe you just want someone else's life altogether. Whatever it is, God gives us permission to be honest. He allows us to say, this is what I want. But then, once you've done that, I want to encourage you to bring all of these things, whatever they are, to the Lord in prayer. And with each thing, I want us to first pray, God, you died so that I wouldn't need this thing that has such a stranglehold on my life. Help me surrender this relationship. Help me surrender this expectation. Help me surrender this bitterness, this ambition. Help me to see that praying your will be done Is in fact the best thing I could possibly pray for, since it's in this very prayer that you secured my salvation and redeemed all of humanity. And I want all of us, maybe this week, as we pray this prayer each day, to pay attention to what happens when we start to pray like this. And it's not a passive prayer. It's not something we pray after we've tried everything and have no other options left. You know, I think it's very telling that Jesus doesn't end his time of prayer in Gethsemane with your will be done. He doesn't throw up his hands and say, I give up, your will be done. No, this is how he starts. And it says in verse 33 that right after he prays these words, an angel appeared and strengthened him and caused him to pray more earnestly. You see, surrender is not passive. It's an act of resistance. It's a conscious choice we make every day to die to ourselves. And it's one of the hardest things you and I will ever have to do. But know this, God will give us the grace we need to do it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, my grace is sufficient for for my power is made perfect in weakness. God, I can't give this up. My grace is sufficient for you. God, this year is already too hard. My grace is sufficient for you. God, why me? My grace is sufficient for you. And as we learn to trust him and live out the words of this prayer in every sphere of our lives, I guarantee that slowly but surely, all of us will begin to see massive transformation, not only in our own hearts, but in our homes, our schools, our workplaces and our city. Let's pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.